the finished works of Christ is the altar upon which the new creation offers his own sacrifice to the Lord. So he didn't come with the blood of animals. He came with himself. He was his own sacrifice. Very amazing and supernatural. He was the high priest and he was a sacrifice at the same time. I know when your life is unconsecrated, it becomes common. Whatever is common, Satan can do with it whatever he likes. Satan can't touch consecrated things. My God, the devil cannot touch consecrated things because when he says something is consecrated, it means it's holy, it's set apart. The fact that it is set apart by itself is protection. So, listen, consecration is protection because it is set apart, it is put out of sight and reach for evil. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant. Reverend Peter Ayoala brings you God's word. Glory to God. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. So in Psalm 50 verse 5, Psalm 50 verse 5, you remember last week we started this teaching. The Bible says, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Hallelujah. Now in Nigeria today is Democracy Day. Praise the Lord. In case you didn't know. It's June 12th. Some of you are probably too young to understand what June 12th is about. But at least you read the stories. Glory to God. Some of us were very young at that time. We understand, we're old enough to understand that war was looming on Nigeria at that time. You know, when the mandate of MQ Abiola was scuttled by the you know, military administration of Babangida at that time. Ask your neighbor, do you even know who Babangida is? <laughs> he doesn't have a female gender called Mamangida, praise God. In case you're thinking about that. <laughs> you see, so... Um, yeah, so it's important we pray for Nigeria. Amen. Amen. You know, somebody said, as bad as things are in the UK right now, things are really bad there. Economy is really in shambles. Um, you know, knife crimes all over the place. Yet the people keep saying, God save the queen. You see what I'm saying? Of course, not all of them. In other words, no matter how bad things are, don't curse your country. All right, bless Nigeria. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes. You know, people have a slang these days. They say, uh, I pray that Nigeria doesn't happen to you. You know, now they know what they mean by that. You know what I'm saying? But that is already making Nigeria a curse word. Nigeria is not a curse, Nigeria is a blessing. Somebody say, Nigeria is a blessing. Say, this nation will prosper. In the name of Jesus. And so because it's Democracy Day, I'll tell you before I go into my teaching, all right, if you are, uh, which I believe almost everybody here will be, all right, of voting age, all right, please get your PVCs and vote. And then try to join the political party. Amen. Amen. It's not about just voting. The, the voting is actually the very little part of it. Joining a political party is more important. 
and then try to enter into the ranks. It is godly to be in politics. Say amen to that. I'm not teaching on that today, but I just wanted to let you know. It's not a sin for a Christian to be in politics. All right? When a person gets elected into governmental offices, Romans 13 says he is a minister of God. All right? But some, of course, get there to become ministers of Satan. Praise God. They are not serving the purpose of God, but a Christian can go into politics. So if you feel led to go to politics, you know, it's, it's okay. So you can let us know. Uh, we'll teach you more in the Bible how to go about it. And then also teach you some simple wisdom steps the Bible tells you to do. Because you need to really flow with politicians if you will do politics. It is called contact without contamination. Say amen, somebody. Ask your neighbor, do you have a PVC? I have. Me, I have. <laughs> I've always had for a long time. Amen. Don't let them steal your PVC. I believe part of how they rigged the last election is they stole my PVC for a while. I couldn't find it. I'm serious. I couldn't find it for a long time. I don't know who they connived with in my house that gave it to them. After the election, I now found it. <laughs> and now I've kept it very safe. <laughs> Did you see that? So please, it's important that you do that. Someone asked, uh, Dad, can't you tell us who to vote for? No, it's not in my jurisdiction. And I also don't owe you to tell you who I will vote for. It's my personal decision. Are you hear what I'm saying? If you vote for anybody, you are still my member. <laughs> Even if you vote for Satan. <laughs> You are still a member of this church. Glory to God. I hear what I'm saying. And you shouldn't fight people for who they choose to vote for. All right? Don't get into extremes of hatred and say, you know, why would you ever vote for so-and-so? Well, it's their choice. Are you getting what I'm saying now? So don't fight with people online. Don't fight with people physically. Don't lose covenant relationships over politics. Because the politicians you're fighting about, they eventually make up. And uh, so don't make your life more difficult. All right, be careful with your utterances in this season. All right, uh, the Lord Lady might have to make this admonition. Be careful with your utterances. Don't say things that will make your life difficult. You know, don't abuse other people because of their own choices. Uh, for all you care, your boss at work might be one of those that made those choices you are insulting. And when he sees your post, you know you are losing your job. Then that person you voted for, you go and collect job from him. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Or you go and insult somebody's choice, and that's the same choice your father made. Say anybody who votes for so and so person is the enemy of Nigeria, and your father has voted for him. So is your daddy now the enemy of Nigeria? When you see him next time, and you are greeting him like this, say, just stay there, don't stand up. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's possible for husband to vote for somebody and the wife vote for another. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Praise God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Oh, oh my goodness. Hallelujah. So Psalm 50 and verse 5. He said, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The NIV says, Gather to me these consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. These consecrated people. To be a saint means you've been set apart. It means you've been set apart. Um, and I always like to say this and clarify that a saint is not something you become after you're dead and go to heaven. A saint is what you became when you received Jesus. 
We are his consecrated people. Remember Peter saying, you are a chosen generation, a peculiar people, a holy nation. You see, peculiar there means special, consecrated, different. That's what it means. So we are saints now. We are holy now. Hebrews 3.1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So right now on earth, we are saints. So we don't become saints after we die. We become saints the day we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So you can actually call yourself St. Peter, St. You know, uh, Shola, St. Tunde, glory to God. Ask him, what saints are you saying? What? <laughs> glory to God. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you see now? The, the Passion Translation says, Gather all my devoted lovers, my godly ones, whose hearts are one with me. Those who have entered into my holy covenant by sacrifices upon the altar. Look at that. I love the Passion Translation of it. It says, Gather all my devoted lovers, devoted lovers, not fans, devoted lovers. Did you see that? My godly ones, whose hearts are one with me, those who have entered into my holy covenant by sacrifices upon the altar. Amplify classic. He says, gather together to me, my saints, those who have found grace in my sight. Have you found grace in the sight of the Lord? Can you see that? He said, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. What the psalmist is really saying is that we became saints by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is how come we became the saints of God. It is by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw also last week in 1 Peter 2, 5, which is where the title of this series comes from. He said, ye also, as living stones, that's the way it is in the originals, he says, are built up a spiritual house. Can you see? An holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And I wanted to pay attention to that phrase, by Jesus Christ, because all our sacrifices, that is spiritual sacrifices, are by Jesus Christ. And uh, next week, Sunday, I'm going to talk about our altar. And you're going to see that the, the altar in the New Testament, all right, where we offer our sacrifices is actually the sacrifice of Christ. That is, the finished works of Christ is the altar upon which the new creation offers its own sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to see that next week Sunday in more detail. And it's the reason why you see Peter here saying, we are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And then he says, it is by Jesus Christ. You notice the writer of Hebrews says the same thing in Hebrews 13, 15. He says, by him, by him, therefore, let us offer sacrifice of praise from the fruit of our lips. He says, giving thanks unto his name. So when he says, by him, he's simply saying, he is the altar upon which our sacrifice is offered unto the Lord. You notice in John 4, the Lord Jesus speaking with a woman at the well said, he said, the time or the hour cometh when neither here nor in Jerusalem would you go to worship. He says, for uh, God is spirit and God is seeking. Did you see those who worship him in spirit and in truth? He says that, and what he's trying to say to the woman there is that 
after and upon his finished works. Did you see that now? The man or woman who receives him, glory to God, will have an altar which is spiritual where he will worship God. So the location of or the debate about Jerusalem or in Samaria at that time will no longer be relevant. It will now be in Christ. Did you see that now? That is, whether you are in Jerusalem or Samaria, what will now count is that you are in Christ. That is what will make your worship acceptable unto God. So say after me this one, say, Jesus is my altar. See, his finished works is my altar. Hallelujah. Last week, we also saw that Father Abraham offered sacrifices. In Genesis 22, verse 9, the Bible says, And they came to the place which God had told him of. And the Bible says, And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son. Did you see that? And laid him on the altar upon the wood. Of course, you know what he was going to do there. He offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. He was going to kill him. Then the Lord stopped him and told him to look behind him. There was a ram caught in a thicket, which was supposed to substitute for Isaac, And in that act, God was simply demonstrating how that man cannot pay for his own sins, but he has sent Jesus, his son, to be the substitute. Jesus is our substitute. Is that not good news to you this morning? It's good news to all the ages. Jesus is my substitute. Did you see? So he did not just die for me, he died as me. Did you see that now? He died as me. The death I was supposed to die, Jesus Christ died that death. When James wrote about it in James 2 and the 21st verse, Apostle James, the brother of our Lord Jesus in the flesh, said, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? So he said, Abraham offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Glory to Jesus. We also see that in the Old Testament, Solomon offered sacrifices unto God. King Solomon. King Solomon. I know you know many things about King Solomon, but there are very many good things about him. In First Kings chapter 3, King Solomon, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David, and all that, and all that. And verse 4, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Notice there, he went to the great high place to offer a sacrifice. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. A thousand burnt offerings. And the truth is, that showed some level of dedication. Did you see that? In verse 5, it says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. I want you to know this, that sacrifice is a covenant language. Sacrifice is a covenant language. And then secondly, sacrifice is a power language. Sacrifice is a covenant language, and sacrifice is a power language. It's a covenant language. It's a power language. And you notice here that we saw him go to Gibeon for the first time, offer the sacrifice, and the Bible tells us he slaughtered a thousand burnt offerings unto the Lord. But you will notice later on in his reign, when they dedicated the temple built by Solomon, the Bible tells us he had offered prayers unto the Lord and requested that the manifest presence of God would always be toward that temple. And hear how God responds to him in 1 Kings 9. And we're going to read the first three verses. 
First Kings 9, verse 1 to 3. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication. Notice, he makes Gibeon a reference. He says the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. As he had appeared to him in Gibeon. So you see that sacrifice is really a covenant language. That God will now make that Gibeon upon which Solomon had offered a sacrifice a point of reference. Did you see that? In his dealings with Solomon. As we go further in this teaching this month, we're going to see the things we offer unto the Lord. Last week I showed you we offer ourselves unto the Lord. We're going to look more intently into that this morning. We offer prayers unto the Lord as sacrifice. Our prayer is like incense unto the Lord. And I'll tell you that one thing about sacrifice is that there must be a place and a time for it. There must be a place and a time for sacrifice. There has to be a place and a time. Solomon chose Gibeon and he said it was a great high place. So, for example, when you're offering sacrifice of prayer unto God, you must have a prayer place where you pray daily. You must have a prayer time where, when you offer up your prayers unto the Lord. That is how it can become a reference point. You need to understand that though God is omnipresent, that is, is everywhere, you are not. Therefore, God will usually meet you at a place. God will meet you at a time. He exists in past, present, and future. But you only exist in one space and moment of time. Therefore, he will meet you at a particular time. And so you understand the importance of having a place and having a time when you offer your sacrifice unto the Lord, even though it is spiritual. And so we see that Solomon offers sacrifices unto God. And so there are sacrifices we also offer, even in the New Testament, as we've seen in 1 Peter 2, 5, there are spiritual sacrifices. There are spiritual sacrifices. And last week we saw how that we offer our bodies, that is ourselves, unto the Lord. And that is nothing new because we are simply following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus offered himself. Ephesians, the fifth chapter and the second verse. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. And you see Apostle Paul admonishing the Ephesians and in doing so he says to them, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. I read it again. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. So we see Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice in Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us? Did you see that? Who gave himself for us? Jesus did not just give us things. He gave us himself. 
He gave us himself. So when we sing songs like the Lord is my portion, you would actually see that in Psalm 16. He says the Lord is my portion. He is the portion of my cup. He is my inheritance. Did you see that now? And so you understand, he said, thou maintainest my lot. Can you see Psalm 16? And you see verse 5? So you understand there that God gave us himself. He appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15. He said to him, do not be afraid. He said, for I am your exceeding great reward. He said, I am. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a reward. He said, I am that reward. In other words, he said, I'm going to give myself, <coughs> excuse me, to you. And that is exactly what we see Jesus doing here. Because in what Jesus did, God is fulfilling those words, those statements. He promised to give himself, and he has given himself. Titus 2.14 again, he says, Who gave himself for us, and we have received him. I said, I have received him. Can you see that? That he might redeem us from all iniquity. Did you see that? And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So in other words, the sacrifice of himself achieved these two things. That is, in his sacrifice, he delivered us or redeemed us from all iniquity. So we are redeemed from all iniquity now by the sacrifice of Christ. You cannot deliver or redeem yourself from iniquity. Jesus did that by offering himself. But it didn't stop there. He also purified unto himself a peculiar people. Look at that word again. That is consecrated, set apart, special by his sacrifice, who are now zealous of good works. In other words, whereas when we're still in sin, all our members were yielded as instruments of sin. The desires and motion of sin were all over us. But now that we are in Christ by sacrifice, we are now zealous for good works. The most holy emotions are stirred up inside of us. Oh, I don't know about you, but the most holy emotions are stirred up inside of me. So I love righteousness and I hate iniquity. Say it again. Say, I love righteousness and I hate iniquity. Glory to God. You will see also in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 to 27. He says, For such an high priest became us who is holy harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests. So he's making a comparison here between the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those high priests, he's talking about the sons of Levi, starting with Aaron and his sons and those that came after him. So he says, Jesus needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, because he didn't have any sins. Who knew no sin? Glory to Jesus. Second Corinthians 5, you see the Bible says, for he made him to be seen, who knew no sin? Did you see that now? So he says, uh, for first for their own sins they would have to offer, but Jesus didn't have to do that. And then for the peoples, for this Jesus did once. When he offered up himself. Did you see that again? So he didn't come with the blood of animals. He came with himself. He was his own sacrifice. Very amazing and supernatural. He was the high priest and he was the sacrifice at the same time. Did you see that? In the Old Testament, the, the high priest would come with a sacrifice. Jesus in, the, in his own walk came as the high priest and came as the sacrifice. What a wonderful savior. Can you say amen, somebody? In Hebrews 8 and verse 3, Hebrews 8 and verse 3, 
He says, for every high priest is ordained to offer, did you see now, is, is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man, and he's talking about Jesus, have somewhat also to offer. You know, anytime you see some of these verses, it reminds you, like we always say, that the Lord Jesus Christ is a man. And he's still a man now. Come on now. I said, Jesus is a man. I feel like getting closer to you now. I said, Jesus is a man. Is he your man? <laughs> Jesus is my man. <laughs> now, don't say my guy, but he's my man. Did you see that? So in Hebrews 83, he says, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man, and that's Jesus is talking about, have somewhat also to offer. But we notice what did he offer? He offered himself. He didn't offer the blood of goats or bulls. Did you see that? And that is to tell you that Christ is our own high priest. Christ is my high priest. Say like you mean it. Say Christ, the Lord Jesus is my high priest. Say it again. Say Christ, the Lord Jesus is my high priest. You know, when you understand the sacrifice of Jesus, which is himself, and when you read, of course, in the book of Hebrews, he, he calls it his blood. His blood is him. You understand that? His blood is him. We've explained that in many teachings so you can get them. His blood is him because the life of the flesh is the blood. It's in the blood. So his blood is him. And you will begin to understand the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, during the week, last week, we, we took meditation from Hebrews 13. And verse 20 and 21. Now, the God of peace, did you see that brought again from the dead? The Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Now he now says... Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Did you see? So in every good work. Did you see? And he says, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. So notice now, that prayer is very simple. And you've got to be careful with the punctuations. He says, now the God, so he's describing who is going to do this thing. So, by the, the first few words, he's describing God. So, he's trying to let you know which God he's talking about. He's the God of peace. Isn't it wonderful? He's the God of peace. Oh, I'll say it again. He's the God of peace. The God of wholeness. <laughs> the God of nothing missing and nothing broken. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. He is the God of peace. So if you ever need peace, he will give it to you. You see, whoever is the God of anything has it in abundance and has the power to give it as he pleases. He is the God of peace. So it means you can get peace in any situation of your life right now. If there's trouble in your life, the God of peace will bring peace to you. Are you hearing what I am saying? Say it again. Say, he's the God of peace. Hallelujah. We see that. Glory to God. So is it now the God of peace? Do you see that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. So he further describes him as the one who brought Jesus from the dead. Did you see? And then he now describes the Lord Jesus that he brought from the dead. Did you see now? That great shepherd of the sheep. End of description. Then the prayer begins. 
So he says, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he will make you perfect. So he said he's going to make you perfect, but he tells you how he's going to do it. He said he's going to do it through the blood. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's going to do it through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, the word perfect, there's a Greek word, katartizo. It means to repair. It means to make something fit. To put it together. So what does that mean? That the power of the blood of Jesus, and that is the blood itself, has the power to repair damages. Any kind of damage. Any kind. Spiritual, emotional, physical. He says, through the blood, he will catartizo you. He will repair you. He will repair your emotions. He will repair your marriage. He will repair your broken body. He will repair your broken life. Through the blood. <laughs> Through the blood. Through the blood. Through the blood. Through the blood. So, in other words, he's saying you need you need that perfection, that fitness, that wholeness in order to do his will. You can't do the will of God with a broken body, broken health. You can't do the will of God with a broken emotions. You know, people are battered by life. And people have told you that your life can never ever be whole again. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because there is a blood of the everlasting covenant through which Jesus, through which God will put you together again. And when he puts you together again, he's not going to be like Humpty Dumpty, glory to God. He's going to make you better than you ever have been in your life. Can you say amen, somebody? Amen. God doesn't restore back to what was. God restores forward. <laughs> I'll say it again. He does not re restore back to what was. He restores you forward. He restores you to what you have never had before. He doesn't restore you to what you lost. Oh, glory. He restores you to what you never had before. To something better than what you ever had. Say after me, say, I am being restored forward. Say it again, say, I am being restored forward. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. You know, sometimes I really feel like the, the church is yet to really understand and come to grasp with the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. See what we just, you know, looked at now in Hebrews 13. Sometimes people just feel they use the blood when they're traveling. They put the blood on the tire, on the windscreen, and, 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 and very inconsequential things. The blood is not for tires. No. No, 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 no. The blood can do more than that. So don't plead the blood ignorantly. See what the blood can do. He said it will make you fit. Anything, in other words, anything in your life that is a hindrance to you fulfilling God's will, the blood will take care of it. It's going to get rid of it. It's going to get rid of all those things. If the devil is messing up with your mind, the blood of Jesus will fix your mind. The blood will fix your mind. It will fix your emotions. Who is depression when the blood of Jesus is speaking? 
Somebody shout to me, I have a sound mind. I would say to anyone who's experiencing any form of attack of the devil in your mind, flee the blood. You pray that prayer through the blood of the everlasting covenant. It makes my mind perfect. It makes my mind sound. I have sound as a mind by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's happening to some of you now. It's healing your mind now. Online and on ground. It's healing minds now. It's mending what is broken. It's mending what is broken now. It's fixing your mind. It's regulating your mind. You are not going to lose that mind. No, you are not going to lose. You are not going to lose your mind. You will not lose your mind. It makes you whole. It leads you beside the still waters. It restores your soul. He restores your soul. He restores your soul. He restores your soul now. He restores your soul now. He restores your soul now. He restores your soul. He restores your soul now. He restores your soul now. He restores your soul now. Oh yes, Lord. Oh yes. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Even if your mind was whole before, there is a higher level of wholeness for you now. Yeah. Your thinking process becomes exceptional. Exceptional creativity. Optimal functionality. <laughs> Optimal functionality. Optimal functionality. Your mind is brought into its best shape ever. In the name of Jesus. Do you receive that? Shout amen one more time. Glory to Jesus. <laughs> That's the work of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> the Lord is bringing me into the best shape of my life thus far. <laughs> In my mind, in my body, I'm in my best shape. <laughs> and I told you, our best days are not ahead. They are in the present continuous perpetual. They are in the present continuous perpetual. That even right now, I'm in my best shape. By tomorrow, I'll be my best ship. By next tomorrow, I'll also be my best ship. It's present, continuous, and it is perpetual. Glory. 
I'm not chasing after it. No. It is present with me already. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, you see some people sometimes they say, you know, uh, you know, you see, they say, I, I don't remember things as I used to. No, 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 not me. I remember so sharply. My brain is sharper than ever. <laughs> sharper than ever before. <laughs> no room for depression. No room. See, if I look at someone and say, we don't do depression. <laughs> so what do we do? We do joy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, joy is what we do. You know, you can speak the word of God so much over yourself that your mind becomes unconducive or non-conducive for depression. That if depression comes close to your mind, the force of the joy of the Lord will kill it. That depression can't thrive. It can't thrive around me. Yes. It can't thrive around yes. me. Yes. You know, because the joy of God is so infectious. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't carry the spirit of joy and be catching depression. No. Not me. <laughs> you know, the world is looking for solutions. But the solution is in the Word. It's in the Word. It's in the Word. See, let me tell you this. The devil has no response to the blood. Ah, the blood is very powerful. It's the most powerful thing. Because by that blood we have been saved. It purified us by that blood. That blood washed all our sins away. Listen now, not the sin of just one man, the sins of the whole world. Some, something that can take away the sins of the whole world. There's nothing he cannot do. And that's why that prayer in Hebrews, I think, is very, very important. I took time to explain to you. Through the blood, notice what he calls that blood, the blood, the blood of the everlasting covenant. So the blood is everlasting. The blood is everlasting. The blood is everlasting. You know, Wigglesworth used to say, there is nothing in me that the blood does not cleanse. There is nothing in me that the blood does not cleanse. There is nothing in me that the blood of Jesus Christ does not cleanse. The blood reached into the heavens. The blood reached into hell. The blood reached into eternity. Nothing stops the blood. The blood moves anywhere. And I tell you why is because wherever the blood flows, the spirit goes. <laughs> because Jesus offered that blood by the eternal spirit. That's why that blood is eternal. Did you see that? And so don't forget, that blood is Jesus himself. That's his life. That's his life. That's his life. So he is our high priest. Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come. He is not an high priest of bad things. He's an high priest of good things. 
by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Did you see that? So what he did therefore is spiritual, unlike those of the men under the Levitical priesthood, which was physical. And so you see also in Hebrews 10 and verse 21, and having an high priest over the house of God, he's still referring to Jesus, and having an high priest over the house of God. And you notice what house is the house of God? Hebrews 3, 6 says, whose house are we? In other words, we are the house of God. We are the house of God over which Jesus is the high priest. We are the house of God over which Jesus is the high priest. Hebrews 3, 1 tells us again, we quoted it earlier on, that Jesus is our high priest. He says, well, for holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. The word profession is the same word confession. It's the same word confession. That's why in verse 6 of that same chapter, he said, but Christ has his son over his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Can you see that? So he is our high priest. In Hebrews 9, 14, and I would encourage you as I've always done over the years, the, the book of Hebrews chapters 8, or we'll begin 7, 8, 9, and 10. Read those four chapters as often as you can. It's going to change your life entirely. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10. Read them. Powerful stuff right there. And so you notice in verse 14 of Hebrews 9, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spots to God, purge your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. So notice what his offering and his sacrifice did. He said, he poured your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the blood reached to our conscience. Deep down within us. You know, in the Old Testament, when they offered the sacrifices, it put their sins, as it were, out of God's sight. But in Christ... The sin is not only out of God's sight, it puts it out of your sight. <laughs> in the Old Testament, the Bible says, every time they offer the sacrifices, they were reminded of their sins. In Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus takes it away from your conscience. So if you're, if you're battling with a guilty conscience, it's because you are not appropriating what has been done for you. And to appropriate simply means that you get understanding of it. That light floods your heart about it. You see, when revelation hits your heart, you begin to walk in, re in realities. Did you see that? So when you say Christian who is reading with guilt and condemnation, he is not walking in the spirit. For there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 8.1. So you understand that there, there is no room for condemnation. Why? Because in the sacrifice of Christ, he not only removes our sins from God's sight, he removes our sins from our sight too. So he says he purges your conscience. Because with an evil conscience, that is a, remem a remembrance of your sins, he says you cannot serve God. 
It's impossible to approach God boldly when you're always mindful of what you've done wrong. And worse off is that your mindfulness of your wrong will make you repeat your wrong. So by the blood of Jesus Christ, it takes it off your mind. Takes it off your conscience. You are forgiven. And you are forgiven so you will sin no more. You are not forgiven so you feel like you can just do whatever you like. No, you are forgiven so you will sin no more. And so you can serve the living God. So his blood reaches to your conscience and purges your conscience so you can serve the living God. Verse 24 to 26 of the same chapter, Hebrews 9. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest Entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. So he's making a contradistinction between Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and the sacrifices of the men of old. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Oh, glory to God, he says, but now, once in the end of the world, as he appeared to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. He has put sin away. When John saw him in, in John chapter 1 verse 29, the Bible tells us he saw Jesus coming towards Jordan and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. That's what the writer of Hebrews is also saying. He has appeared once. You know one of the operating words in the book of Hebrews is once and for all. Once and for all. He didn't have to do it twice. He did it once because he was efficacious. He did it once because he got it the first time. He did it once because he hit the target the first time. He did it once because he completed it at once. And so he sat down. Not because he was tired, but because he was done. <laughs> if Jesus sacrificed it once, I tell you the name of Jesus works once. From the first time you call it, it works. Did you see that? He walks. He walks. Once. You know, many years ago, I heard a story how the bishop said they were traveling, himself and his wife. And, you know, he was driving, she was sitting beside him. And it was dark, late at night. Somewhere in Choir State. He said there was this narrow road. And they were on that bridge. A narrow bridge. And it could only take one car at a time. But there was an oncoming truck. This was head-on collision awaiting them. Certainly, death. And he said his wife shouted, Jesus! And then she kept on, Jesus! And again, Jesus! He said, no! Once is enough! He said, we found ourselves on the other side. We found ourselves on the other side. Once is enough! Once is enough. Yes, sir. Ah, I say once is enough. Yes, <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Once is enough. The mistake that many people make is they feel it is at the mention of the name. <laughs> it is at the name. If you don't know the name, the mention of it has no power. Oh boy. I said, if you don't know the name, the mention of the name has no power. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 
and we read from verse 5 let his mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus who though was in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God let's keep reading on to verse 9 and he says but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of his servant I was made in the likeness of uh, man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross 9 wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name go to 10 he says that at the name notice he didn't say at the mention he said at the name 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 onoma o-n-o-m-a that's the greek word for name there so it's not like god gave him another name he had been named jesus from birth so now he's talking about what happened after he was raised from the dead he didn't get another name when he was raised from the dead in terms of christianity so the name here onoma means authority so when he says at the name, he's simply saying at the authority or at the instance or the use of that authority. At the use of that authority. And sometimes you need to understand, there are times you're using that authority without mentioning Jesus. But it's still the authority of Jesus Christ. Are you getting that now? And that's why you notice in Mark 16, let's go to Mark 16. We're going to read from verse 15 down to 20. Uh, yes, to 20. And the Bible tells us there, he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. 16. He said, He that is baptized and is, uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall, uh, shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they what? So notice that. In my name shall they what? So it, what he's saying here is not that you necessarily have to tell a, a demon-possessed person and say, in Jesus' name, you demon come out of him. That's not what he's really saying. He's simply saying, if you tell the demon to go, all right, and you're doing it with the consciousness of my authority, the demon is going to go. Because a lot of people say, in Jesus' name, leave. But the demon didn't leave. Because they mentioned Jesus, but they have no revelation of his authority. So in my name shall they cast out devils does not mean go about saying Jesus name devil come out that's not what it means in my name shall they cast out devils mean because of my authority now demons will obey you now it doesn't mean it's wrong for you to say in Jesus name you devil go because that may probably give you more consciousness you get what I'm saying now so but in my name shall they cast out devils mean by my authority now, if you read Ghost Generals, a man by the name A.A. A. Allen had a habit of introducing himself to demon possessed people and say, I am A.A. A. Allen, get out. That's all you say. Now, a person who didn't understand the word of God would think that A.A. Allen was proud. He wasn't proud. He, he simply knew his rights and privileges. Because that's what Jesus actually said. In my name, that is, in my, he uses the same Greek word there, Onoma, in my authority. In my authority. You know, the, the, the soldier who wields weapons, let's even, that's too high. Let's, let's, let's go to last man. The, the last man who arrests you for breaking the traffic light or violating the traffic light, all right, he's not going to necessarily say in the name of Sonolu or in the name of the Constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria or the laws of legal state. He doesn't have to say that because he has been authorized. To use that authority to arrest you. You understand what I'm saying now? So in the same way, when you when you come across a demon, you see, it's not until you say in Jesus' name, you foul spirit come out. No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with saying that. 
But what is most important is that you know the authority you have. Is somebody getting what I'm saying right now? And again, I repeat, that is not to say it's, it's wrong to say in Jesus' name. That's the way I pray, in Jesus' name. See what I'm saying now? Aha, uh-huh. there's nothing wrong with saying in Jesus' name. So don't, don't go and say, ah, they've taught us now. So there's no need to say in Jesus' name. See, don't create unnecessary confusion for yourself. Because there will be situations sometimes where you are faced with a challenge and you are just going to find that you will just talk and something's going to happen. And I'll be wondering, but I didn't say in Jesus' name. Why? Why did the miracle happen? You use the name without mentioning the name. So notice it goes on, put it back on the screen. He said, in my name shall they cast out devils. So you now know that he's talking about the authority. He says, they shall speak with new tongues. Now listen, how many of you, when you want to pray in tongues, you say, in Jesus' name. Then you stop again, in Jesus' name. Shambro, yambro, jambro, yambro. Then you go to another level, say, in Jesus' name. You know. So, in other words, he's saying, every time we pray in tongues, we're actually using his name. Is it getting clear to you now? Glory to God. Some of you are too much on social media, so don't be thinking it's what happened during the week that I'm talking about. But they say people should put the name of Jesus all over the place. That's not what I'm talking about. This just entered into my message. Say amen to that. But it perhaps might just help you so that you're not confused by all those nonsense some people do sometimes criticizing Christians for putting the name of Jesus. So what if they put the name of Jesus? Did they use your data? So if people say, let's put the name of Jesus out there because we call on him as our savior to save our nation, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing to do. But make it a lifestyle. Don't sensationalize it. Call Jesus anywhere, anytime. We have Jesus on the door of our house. He's been there for over two years. I have it like that. It's a sticker. Jesus, written in red. Against a white background. When you enter my house, that's the first thing you see. Jesus. I love it like that. This <laughs> is what I'm talking about. So it's, it's the consciousness of his authority. He's given us the power of attorney to use his name. The power of attorney means that, you know, years ago, a lawyer was, <laughs> you know, a very fake lawyer. <laughs> Why are you looking at Toy? Toy's good. So it's you guys that are picking on him now. <laughs> and you know, a, 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 a father of the body of Christ spoke about he was going to get a lawyer in Nigeria. And the lawyer said, uh, uh, you will give me the power of Anthony to act on your behalf. Uh, he said, what well, lawyer uh, It will be the power of Anthony. <laughs> Please let me tell your neighbor so they don't go disgrace this church outside. Say, it is not power of Anthony. <laughs> Say so is the power of attorney. Mm. See, look at your neighbor when you are saying it, because some people are still not getting it. Say, neighbor, it is not the power of Antonio. Uh-huh. Say, so it's the power of attorney. <laughs> My God, you know, English is very, very pivotal to your spiritual growth. So Jesus gave us the power of attorney. So you listen. In other words, he gave us the legal right. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So it means whenever you do anything in the authority of Jesus, nobody can question you. You have been authorized. So do so. To cast out devils, to speak with other tongues, 
to lay hands on the sick. And he even goes on to say, next verse 18, come on, come on, come on. They shall take up serpents. Now that's not literal serpent. It's talking about demons. Take them all. Did you see what I'm saying? And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. If they drink any deadly thing. So it means if someone tries to poison you, you can stand on the authority of his word. Or if you mistakenly drink or eat something that is already uh, uh, expired. Mistakenly now, that's the operative word. Jesus didn't say go looking for poison. <laughs> because of my name. Don't do that. That would amount to you tempting God. Because people are funny sometimes. So he said, if you drink any deadly things, ah, we, are, we are deadly things. Where do they sell them? No, no. He's talking about by chance. By chance. So you're, you're, you're running to the toilet because you ate something that is already spoiled unknowingly. You can use this scripture to stop the running stomach. Especially if it happens to be in service. Somebody say, I hear. I hear. I'm glad there's nobody suffering that right now. Did you see that? Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So he said Christ was once offered. Look at that. Because he is the sacrifice. He was once offered. Hebrews 10, 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did you see that? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus offered himself. Verse 11 and 12, the same chapter 10, Hebrews. And every priest standard daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, again he calls him this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So he offered himself. He offered himself. And we see that we must also offer ourselves unto the Lord as Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 6.13 Meats for the belly and the belly for meats he says, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, he says, the body is not for fornication. And that is all forms of sexual immorality. But for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Say after me, say, my body is for Jesus. Yes. Say it again. Say, my body is for the Lord. Yes. My body is not for sexual immorality. Yes. My body is for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. You got to make those kind of confessions. Holy. Say, my body... Yes. Is not for sexual immorality. My body is for Jesus. Say amen to that. In the same chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians verse 19 to 20. He said what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You notice we saw earlier on that Jesus Christ is the high priest over the house of God. And the house of God is us. So be mindful of the fact that. Jesus is the high priest over this body. Do you understand that? Therefore, first of all, if he's the high priest over this body, I cannot allow sin in this body. Did you see that? Because you see, it is from the point where his priesthood is established that his protection can be enjoyed. 
I'll say it again. It is from the point where his priesthood is established and allowed, then his protection can and will be enjoyed. In other words, when you choose to not allow sin in your body because Jesus is the high priest over this body, what you're simply doing is, you're simply saying, this body is consecrated to the Lord. So what it means is, I've allowed him to take over this body. He can only protect what is committed to him. Thereafter, you can also now walk in the reality of the fact that, you know what? Since this body is the house of God, sickness cannot live here. Sickness cannot live here. Because Jesus is not going to preside over his sick body. He presides over a whole body. A healthy body. And that's the same thing. He, he, he doesn't want to preside over a sinful body. A body that is being loaned to the devil for sin. Somebody say, not me, not me, not me, not me. Because he has already consecrated that body for himself. Don't violate it. That's why he says that anyone that defiles this body, he said the Lord shall destroy. You know why he says so? Because it already belongs to him. So don't use it for what contradicts his will and purpose. And that's the admonition of Paul to the Romans in Romans 12. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of the Lord, verse 1, Romans 12, that ye present. Notice, he didn't say that ye make. You can't make your body holy. He did that already. So he says to present it. In other words, put it on display for what it is. Use it for his rightful purpose. He made it so. You present it so. And it's an appeal. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves or your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's a wrong song, uh, you know, an uh, old song people used to sing. Uh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. He answered that prayer already. He already prepared us. He has made us living sacrifices, pure and holy, unto him. So you should rather sing, you have made me a sanctuary. I'm pure and holy and tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I am a living. I am a living sanctuary for you, Lord. For you. Say amen to that. Amen. Say, I am a sanctuary. I am his house. He is the high priest over this body. <laughs> Did you see that? You see, that again used to say, it's important for us to be God inside minded. God inside minded. In other words, be conscious of the fact that God is in you. Be also conscious of that the fact that you are God's possession. He owns this body. He owns this body. So I'm going to give this body to him in the way I live, in the things I do. And therefore, I'm also confident of the fact that he protects this body. I told you one of my confessions for divine health is that any sickness that tries to defile this body is destroyed. Because he cannot preside over a sick body. He protects his own house. You know, we need to really understand the Lordship of Christ. 
can't expect Jesus Christ to run all over the place for you, protecting you, when you have not even allowed him to be the Lord over you. God is a very gentle man. In his mercy, he protects us even when we mess up. But I tell you, there are certain situations of life that if he doesn't really have lordship over you, he may not be able to help you, sir. I tell you that. Don't open the door of your life to Satan. Let the lordship of Christ be so established in your life. That Lord, I am yours. I'm yours to command. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, I am yours. Oh yes, I am yours. Oh, glory to God. Say after me, say, my body is the temple of God. Say it again. Say, my body is the temple of God. Paul says that again in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. What? He said, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, he said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body. So do things that glorify God with that body. And this is the reason why you see Paul teaching the Corinthians and by extension he teaches us that when we all stand before the judgment seat before the Lord Jesus, we will all give account of the things done in the body. Things done in the body. So it means after he paid the price for this body, he expects you to do certain things with this body. Things that glorify him. So at the end of every man's life, believers now, because the man who refused to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's not going to stand before the judgment seat. The Greek word for that is bima. He can't be there. He's already judged. You see that in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not is damned. That is his own judgment because he refused Jesus Christ. But for the man who received Jesus, he says, you've been bought with a price. So he now tells you, you have an assignment. Glorify God in your body. Find the will of God, the plan of God for your life. Follow it to the fullest. Because when you finish your race in this side, on this side of eternity, you will stand before the judgment seat and it's going to ask you to give account of what you did in the body. And it's very simple. First point of call. Did you preach the gospel of Jesus? That is the first and the highest way to glorify God in your body. Is to preach the gospel of Christ. Is to preach the gospel of Christ. He said, now we are ambassadors for Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 20, 21. We are ambassadors, 20 rather. Ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. Did you see that? We are his ambassadors. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled unto God. The same way God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself. He said, he, said, he has now committed unto us the word or the message of reconciliation. Therefore, when a man receives Jesus Christ, he has an assignment to use this body that God has already paid for to preach the gospel of Christ. You can build mansions, estates, buy cars, you know, live in the best parts of the world, in the best cities in the world. But when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that matters the most is, did you do the work of ministry? The work of ministry is preaching Jesus Christ to the unsaved. The work of ministry is discipling those who are saved. The work of ministry is to get involved in the local church. The wisdom of God on the earth. That's the work of ministry. And time is counting. So he gave himself. We must give ourselves to. 
And that's the first and the ultimate sacrifice that we offer in the New Testament. is the sacrifice of our lives. You know, many times people erroneously say, when a person is about to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, and people say, he gave his life to Christ. Say now, haven't heard the word of God this morning. If you are here and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, come forward. As I begin to count, come and give your life to Jesus. And they will begin to sing. And people are rushing to the altar. And you ask them, what are they coming to do? They say they want to give their life to Jesus. No, you can't. You have no life to give to Christ when you are still in sin. The man who is yet to receive Jesus, or the sinner as you will call it, is still dead. He has no life. You don't give your life to Jesus to be saved. You come to Jesus to receive life. What life did you have? Ephesians 2.1 He said we were dead in sins. All of us. And you are the quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of the great love wherewith he had loved us when we were dead. So we were dead. He did the giving in salvation. So salvation is not a matter of giving your life. Salvation is a matter of receiving the life of God. And it's important you get that as simple as it may sound. It's important because that's why many people are living a Christian life where they are trying to live by works to earn God's, God's goodness. Because they started on the wrong note. With the mindset with which they got saved, they, they, they always believe, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. So if I did the giving, then I'm the one controlling it. Oh no. No, no, no. There is nowhere you will find it in the Bible that a man gives his life to Christ. Nowhere you will never find it. It's amazing. And yet it has been a lingo for us as believers from generation to generation. I gave my life to Christ. Come and give your life to Christ. You will never find it in the Bible. Men were called to receive the offer of salvation. God is the giver. You are the receiver. You came to receive. He did the giving. Ephesians 5, 2. We read this earlier on. He said, I walk in love. Even as Christ gave himself. Titus 2.14. Who gave himself? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. You didn't give. You came to receive. You came to receive. You came to receive. You came to receive his life. God has no use for that life that was useless anyway. <laughs> and that's why you must understand salvation is not that God refurbished that dead man. No! He did away with that dead man. He made you a brand new man. <laughs> if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Ay, 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 ay. Woo! <laughs> and let me tell you, Bible historians say when Paul wrote, said that statement, because you see, he said it, they wrote it down. They said he was shouting it. One Bible commentator says there should be 10 exclamation marks after that, that verse. Any man in Christ is announcing it. He's a new creature. He's a new creature. A new species of being that has never existed before. <laughs> sit down, sit down. And so the, the idea of I gave my life to Christ is like saying I brought that old man. For what? <laughs> what we got to do with it? 
Say, God, take this man, this old man, so that he will do or so that he will, he will embellish it or turn it to cadaver. <laughs> and they'll be using it in medical school for experiment or, 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 or diagram. No. He said, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then in verse 18, he says, all things. And in the literal Greek, what he really says, all these things. Ay, 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 ay. All these new things. They are of God. Look at that because he is the one who gave. Yes. All these new things are of God. None of it is of you. Yes. You brought nothing. You brought nothing at all. So that no man would glory before him. It is all of him. And God did a complete job. So God is not trying to develop and improve on that old man. So you see salvation is not behavioral modification. It's a transformation. I was blind. Now I see. I was dead. Now I'm alive. <laughs> no record of sin against that man. That's why it's amazing to me sometimes when they say a person was a cult, it's nice, born again. Then they tell him to come, come and telling us how his old life was. He has no old life. Stop molesting the new creation. They tell us, how was your life before? Ah, before, before, I was the second in command to Satan. Ah, yeah, 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 we used to drink blood. Ah, Epeleo. After the but you used to to step it down. Those are silly things. We've seen them over the years. Now we see one person after another. They all come and tell they were the second in command to Satan. That's how you know Satan is a liar. He kept deceiving all of them. So when this one comes, I'll say, you are my second in command. Then he will go and tell everybody. Then another one will come again and say, you too, you are my second in command. <laughs> second in command to no authority. Authority doesn't have. So the person is bragging all over the place. He wear out clothes and he'll be shaking all kinds of and put beads. He's just a costume maker. <laughs> glam squad. You know the Babala would have glam squad? Beads, 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 you know, colors all over the place. And in his mind, he's going out. I'm the second in command. And as he's going, he's going, Anybody that comes to tell those kind of stories is not genuinely saved. Because the, the, the things in the new creation are too amazing that they take all your attention. You can't even think of the past. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. How can you see this glorious light and you can still look back into darkness to tell us how it used to be? No, 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 no. We keep gazing in this light. We gaze into this light. <laughs> For Jesus said, He that believeth and followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. And that light shines in the darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. It displaces darkness completely. So it is after we received his life, then we now give it to him. Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I am crucified with Christ, Paul said. So nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You know why he said yet not I? It's because he's saying, listen, this is not me here. Because when I came to Jesus, I received his life. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He said, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So he's saying to you there, he's talking about two different lives here. There is one that God has gotten rid of, but there is the one that I now live, and that is Christ living in me. The life I received, which is called eternal life. Eternal life. So that's the life I live now. Now, that is the one I give to the Lord. So, when we ever say, come and give your life to Christ, it should not be addressed to the unbeliever. It should be addressed to the saints. So, it is to the saints that we should say, give your life to him. Because now, you have a life to give. And the life you gave me, I give it back to you, Lord. Why? Because I'm yours. I'm yours. Why should we be so difficult to give to him the life he gave you? Why should it be so difficult to live for him the life he gave you? You know what he said? Christian said, it's my life. You are simply saying you are still a sinner. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want. You are simply saying you are not saved. Saved people don't talk like that. Because that would be totally untrue for a saved man to say. That it's my life. No, read it. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. The word of God says that. Say, therefore, glorify God. In other words, this your life that you have received in Christ now, it is for Christ. It's for the work of God. It's for the purpose of God. So it is a violation for a saved man, a saved woman, to say he has a personal agenda for his own life. It's a violation. It's a crime in the spirit. In fact, you are a criminal to say so. Because you are simply saying you have an agenda for something that is not your own. Yes, he said he bought you with a price. Yes, so imagine somebody just wakes up tomorrow morning and he says, I have plans. I'm going to travel from Lagos to Ibadan with your car. My car that I bought. <laughs> you can't go anywhere with my car. Because you didn't pay for it. That's the way you are when you wake up and you don't care about the will of God for your life. And you are born again. It's like somebody trying to drive a car he didn't pay for against the wish of the owner who paid for it. So you are going to Ibadan, but God said, that's not where I want you to go. I'm the one who paid for this car. I foiled it. I'm the one who services it. Why are you going to Ibadan with it? I programmed that car to go towards Victoria Island. So where are you going? Say, Lord, I'm going to, it's, it's, I will do whatever. It's my car. It's my life. It's my life. That is an unconsecrated Christian life. And you know when your life is unconsecrated, it becomes common. Whatever is common, Satan can do with it whatever he likes. Satan can't touch consecrated things. Oh, my God. The devil cannot touch consecrated things. Because when he says something is consecrated, it means it's holy. It's set apart. The fact that it is set apart by itself is protection. So listen, consecration is protection. Because it is set apart, it is put out of sight and reach for evil. Ah, yeah. But when it becomes common, it's all over the place. <laughs> it's all over the place. There's a reason why the place is called Aso Rock. You can't enter. It's set apart. <laughs> it's set apart. Very secure. The consecration of it in itself is where its protection is found. Your protection is largely rooted in your consecration as a believer. I'll say it again. Your protection 
is largely rooted in your consecration as a believer. You live a common life, you begin to experience common problems. Common problems all over you. I call them saints with sinners problems. Because you choose to live like the world, then you will begin to suffer these problems and the experiences of the world. Jesus walked the face of the earth without sin. Even when they tried to harass him and kill him, the Bible supernaturally he will excuse himself. In John 10, he said, no man taketh my life. You know why no man could take his life? That life was completely sold out to the cause of God. No man. He said, I lay down by myself and I pick it up. Again. Because it's a consecrated life. You've got to consecrate your life to God. Consecrate your life to God. You see, Christianity is not just about, I'm now saved. And then I sit down and I'm just waiting to enjoy all the benefits of salvation. There are not only rights and privileges in Christ, there are also obligations and duties, assignments. After you get saved, your first question must be, Lord, what would you have me do? What do you want me to do for you, Lord God? And don't, say, don't say to me this morning and say, but I, I'm young, I'm just a young man, I just want to enjoy my life. I'm a young lady, I just want to enjoy my life. You know, you know people have this funny idea that serving God is for old people. So let me live my life when I'm young. And so when I'm old, I'll give Jesus the rest of my life. No! I'll give Jesus the best of my life. And that's why that best becomes continuous perpetual. <laughs> Start serving Jesus early. 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 Start by preaching Jesus to others. Continue by joining workforce in church. Make yourself useful. Enlist yourself in the army of God. You hear what I'm saying this morning? That's why you see in this church, that's our philosophy. Because that's the philosophy of God. Nobody is saved to warm benches. There are no VIP Christians. That once you get saved, you are in the VIP department of the kingdom of God. You just come to church, cross your leg, and say, ah, so what's going on? So what word are they preaching to us today? Oh, wow, good word. Pastor, try you. Ah, ah. Your face shine, your face show, your shoe shine. <laughs> so what a pastor. Ooh, see choir. My God, see voice. See how that boy they jump. Eh, eh. <laughs> eh, eh. Hey, Google, be careful. The way they take off like this. And that's the way some people think Christianity is about. Just, just come around and, and just enjoy everything. So, wow, see everywhere, everywhere, just soft. <laughs> see, I like this church. Uh -uh. Wow. You should ask yourself, what's your contribution to everything you're enjoying? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The word you're hearing that is blessing you. There are people who pray for all trans to flow. Yes, sir. Week in, week out. Now, I'm not trying to condemn you. If you're new in the church, there's a process. Take Sunday school class. Sharp, sharp. Enter on the school. Now, be enlisted. Set your life apart. Yes, Stop putting your life within the reach of evil. Don't live a common life. You are not a commoner. Yeah. We're a royal priesthood, a, a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We are not common. So we don't live common lives. <laughs> Which one do you choose? Okay, listen. Will you give me five minutes? Ten minutes? How many of you give me ten minutes? Let me see your hand. Wow, that's a lot. That's ten, 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 ten. Multiply.
I got you. <laughs> man, that's a lot of tens. Glory to God. Do the math for me, man. Worship pastor. We'll be here till next year. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Did you see? And so you got to understand, we've got to serve the Lord. There are many things people do in the church serving Jesus. I tell you one thing, sometimes we have an erroneous statement that we say. Now, not that we don't, we don't go out of our comfort zone, but I don't think it's appropriate for us to do anything for the Lord and say we are making sacrifices. No. You don't know what God has saved you from by the privilege he gave you to work for him. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't want to know. So you're not doing him a favor, no. Do you know where you could have probably been? Some of you probably would have been under the bridge this Sunday morning like this, wasted on drugs. Well, look at you well put together in your right mind, serving Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> Woo! And that's the way Jesus taught us. That no matter what we do for Jesus, we should still always come and say, Lord, thank you for the privilege to do it. We should never come to God with an invoice. This is what I've done. This is what you have done. I've done this for you. So how far? Which you could pay me? Never. We laid on our crowns before him. I said, thank you for counting me worthy. You see how Paul, the apostle said it. He said, I thank Jesus, my Lord. First Timothy 1. He says, for he counted me faithful. And he put me in the ministry. Hey, yeah. After all that he did for Jesus. He didn't come bragging and say, you know what? Man, man, I'm a great man. I've done so many great things for God. No, he said, I thank Jesus, my Lord, who counted me faithful. And he put me in the ministry. First, first Timothy 1, 12. He put me in the ministry. It's a privilege to serve Jesus. To be chosen of God. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Sit down, sit down. It's a privilege. I'm closing already, don't worry. Oh, it's a great privilege. It's a rare privilege. So we don't just say, oh, I'm just making all these sacrifices for Jesus. You know, it's not so easy. You know, you know, I know what I could have been doing. Hey. Something is chasing everybody in life. What you hold on to is what will determine whether that thing will catch you or not. And this privilege to serve Jesus is the best thing to hold on to. Whatever is chasing you can never catch you. <laughs> Did you see that? So you see the local church, you make yourself useful. So I'll say, but how can I serve Jesus? I don't even know anything about Christian life. You learn. We all did, and we all still are. You're learning. You're learning. So, but I can't sing. You need to hear my voice. You wouldn't like it. I think so too. <laughs> but, but God doesn't mind. And I don't mind closing my ears for a while. <laughs> but I'll tell you, nobody in Christ is useless. There will be something you can do. And I tell you, it's a great thing to serve the Lord. Because that is what it means to give ourselves to him. To serve his purpose, his will, his counsel. That wherever he needs us. Now I remember how when Elvis joined us. You know, this is a music director. He can do a lot of things. But he hasn't played drums for a while. And then we needed a drummer. And I just said to him, I said, you just start playing the drums. Whatever it is, you can play. So we had to endure some off beats, wrong beats, you know, drag beats. 
Do you see what I'm saying? But the thing is, it pleases God. And I'm saying this deliberately because today as we're during the worship, I was just looking in his direction and that's what the Lord said to me. He said, that is what it means to serve me. To be available to do whatever you are needed for. That was what he was needed for. And he gave himself to it. That is what pleases God. So to serve God, giving yourself to God does not mean you come to church and begin to choose what you want to do and say, listen, 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 I'm coming from the corporate world. Uh, you know, in the corporate world where I come from, and you're speaking for Netflix, I ain't just annoyed. <laughs> To the corporate world where I come from, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, I've been in the HR, HR, R. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I, I like to serve in your uh, administrative uh, uh, system. You know, see, toilet is where we are going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll be frank with you not because the toilet is a lowly place to serve but that is where God wants to put people like that <laughs> to start them because they already have that mentality that one place is higher than the other so when you come with that approach God will prove it to you that you are wrong and it will first of all Prove it to you that you're wrong by starting you out from that your mentality to humble you. So, so you want to be in the high places. <laughs> you want to square up your shoulder and come to church. And, and it's, I like to be the one taking the announcement. Can't you hear my phonetics? You can use this phonetics for this church to take this church forward. <laughs> and then, so you give me the microphone and I'll show you how I can do announcements. I say, hello. Hello. <laughs> Even your hello is wrong. <laughs> hello. <laughs> you know the reason why God can't use and hasn't been able to use many people is because of that mindset. They want to tell God where they will serve him. God doesn't use people like that. God is the one who tells you where he wants you to serve him. How he wants you to serve him. Moses got up and he felt, yeah, I sense prophecy over my life. I'm the one God will use to deliver Israel from Egypt. And then he went out to do it in his own way. He fell flat on his face. Woeful failure. Saw those two men fighting. An Egyptian against an Israelite. And he felt, this is the way I'm going to serve God. So he killed the Egyptian and in his mind, he felt, wow, man, I've done something great. He expected, according to Acts chapter 7 in Stephen's preaching, Stephen said he was hoping that they would know God had sent him. But that's not the way people know God sent you. Not by you doing it your way. The way they will know God sent you is, Jesus said in John 3, he said, he whom the Lord sent, speaketh the words of God, not his own words. See, and that is the one to whom he gives the spirit without measure. So if you go speaking your own words... There will be no supply of the spirit. And it is the spirit that stirs up the most holy emotions in men and persuades them to receive you. So you go your own way, you forfeit the ministry of the spirit, then you are faced with antagonism. And you're wondering why they can't see the value in what you're doing. They will never see it because you're doing it in the flesh. The way to serve God is to say, Lord, I give myself to you. Whatever you want to do with it, do. 
do with my life? When Paul met Jesus on the way to Damascus, he didn't go say, you know what? You know, I'm well-schooled in the law. I let out the feet of Gamaliel. So, hey, Lord. So, Paul was not a lawyer. He led law, the law, the letter of the law. Moses, the Torah, that's what he meant. At the foot of Gamaliel. So, I know this law, this Torah well. So, Lord, send me to the Jews. God said, no, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. So, you go. I've given the apostleship to the Jews to Peter. You go to the Gentiles. Very crazy stuff. Because Paul, Paul had the qualifications to face the Jews. Because these are people who are schooled in the law. And he is schooled in the law. So you would expect by human calculation, that should be his destination in ministry. God said, no, no, no. Go to the Gentiles to whom all your knowledge sounds stupid. So that when you are speaking, it will be the Holy Ghost staring up in them. The most holy emotions and persuading them. So that at the end of the day, you will know it is not by your intellect. It's the work of the Holy Ghost. That's how God uses people. Speaking of Moses, Moses said, I'm a stammer. He said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. That's like some of you, what you think is your disqualification is actually your qualification before God. Say, I'm so shy. I don't like talking in front of people. I can't greet. God says, join greeters. <laughs> and then you smile. And you know some people when they come to church, they don't even look at you. With all the greeters we have lined up like that, smiling. <laughs> some people will not even do as if they see anybody. <laughs> they say, welcome to church. <laughs> And maybe this is you that you don't like being snubbed. <laughs> and God will deliberately position you in that greater team so that you overcome that fear of being snubbed. And so that you can experience for you that what if people snub you? So what? First week, they snub you. Second week, and God keeps telling you, did you die? <laughs> because usually, when we give ourselves to him, the benefits that we gain from it Boy, they are unimaginable sometimes. God will never use you to deplete you. Never ever. The service of God always upgrades us. The service of God always upgrades us. So we must give ourselves to him. We must give ourselves to him. Apostle Paul knew this. Philippians 2.17 Yea, and if I be offered up on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. In Philippi, in the Amplified class, he said, even if my lifeblood must be poured out as a libation on the sacrificial offering of your faith to God, still I am glad to do it and congratulate you all on your share in it. He's talking to the Philippians about this labor over their lives. He's, he's charging them in the previous verses and he's saying to them, he said, holding forth the word of life. Did you see that? So that I would not have labored in vain. So Paul is saying to them, and even if my labor on you is on your life in the gospel. It's as though my life is poured out as a sacrifice unto God. He said, I'm excited about that too. Because he gave his life for it. Priscilla and Aquila were men like that. You see how he said in Romans 16, 3 to 4, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Second Timothy 4, 6, for I am now ready, Paul speaking about himself, to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand, Paul said. The Macedonians we saw last week, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And these they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And I believe every local church has a duty to create the opportunity for every believer to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity in this church, many of such opportunities in this church. And I encourage you, if you've been coming, you've been blessed. You know, some of you, I look at your faces, and I've seen you come to this church, you know, some of you on and off, on and off. But hey, get yourself planted. Yes, sir. 
Take the first step. It's called Sunday school. It's going to enlighten you a whole lot. You're going to be in small groups. In the Sunday school, you have a teacher that you can ask questions about the basics of the Christian life. Because here we don't believe in just people just come and say, oh yes, I want to serve now, so just start serving. No, that's not the way it's done. You've got to be prepared for it. You've got to be sure that, yeah, you're born again, you're saved. And then even though you're saved, we want to make sure you understand the basics of salvation. So that you serve with the right mentality. You are not a slave serving a master. You are a son serving your father. That's the way it works. You take the Sunday school, and then after you take your membership class. In all that process, I tell you, you will know that your heart is set and ready. And you are going to serve God with understanding. And serve him acceptably. Glory to Jesus. This message was brought to you from the Heritage of Faith Church. Our vision is raising stronger believers. For more impactful resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.